All right, guys, today's guest is really interesting and really diverse. And really, we get into the heart of talking about excellence and how to create mental disciplines. On today's show, Joe Templin. All right, guys, today on the Leadership to Wealth podcast, we have Joe Templin. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Neil, it is my pleasure. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. <laughs> well, well, Joe, before we, before we get too much into the conversation, uh, can you give us a little bit about your background and the alphabet soup behind your name? Okay. So a little bit about my background. I started college at 13 because my parents said 12 was too young. Yes, I went to genius camps on the Zucker too. Um, I finished up at Hopkins. Then I went to RPI, the oldest engineering school in the English speaking world, got my physics degree. While I was there, I picked up my black belt in Taekwondo, fraternities, doing politics, uh, picked up full degree in uh, communications and various other things. Then started graduate school, was working for defense, making weapons. Can't really talk about that. But my godfather died unexpectedly. So we had to sell the farm, went into financial planning, was a college intern, did that for like 15 years, then started my consulting group, uh, won an international championship in Taekwondo along the way, had a couple of kids, actually had three, uh, two of which are special needs, uh, a couple of books, including my newest one, Everyday Excellence, and did a bunch of other pretty interesting things. Uh, in terms of the alphabet soup after my name, as my friends joke, I have more diameter. I am no P because I didn't want to deal with the continuing ed, but I earned my CFP two decades ago. In fact, I wrote a lot of the questions for the CFP exam that are used now. Uh, CLU, CHFC, C uh, CAP, which is a Chartered Advisor of Philanthropy. I'm also a Certified Executive Counselor and have my Master's Certified Executive Counselor in addition to four black belts. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I also run uh, ultra marathons when I don't have a broken leg. All right, ladies and gentlemen, where do we go with uh, from from that? <laughs> Joe, um, you're obviously a man of many tastes. Uh, you're the, the man of La Mancha. Um, tell us a little bit, you know, how is it that you have so so many uh, varied interests? Um, you know, it it would it's quite uh, abnormal to find someone who's very academic and then at the same time as someone who would hold four black belts. Um, can can you tell us a little bit about your mindset and how, how those uh, work together for you? Well, I still consider myself more of a mathlete than an athlete because, like, I run runs, but I do not look like a deer. I look more like a drunken pirate shuffling. Um, <laughs> so I'm not exactly fast or graceful, but I still do it. That comes down to sheer willpower ways. And having ADHD helps in terms of having multiple interests. I've always been incredibly curious. My mom, the nun, who then became a college professor, and uh, my dad, who's former one of six kids, farm family, they encouraged education for us. They encouraged our curiosity. 
So up with like the bug jug, my mom teaching me how to hotwire a car and drive a tractor and all these other. She's the one who taught us how to shoot uh, until cancer took her. She was probably the best shot in the entire family. So we were always encouraged to pursue multiple interests. And my dad always taught me, try and take the pearl of excellence or pearl of wisdom from whatever you're experiencing or doing. Because if you string together enough of those pearls, you end up building a very rich life. So that's something that my father taught me early on. I've always done it. And the thing is that motor rarely stops. And part of the reason for that is not just the biochemical, but I was severely, severely asthmatic as a kid. In second grade, I missed half the school year, and they were going to flunk me until the national exams came back, and I got a perfect score. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we need to like advance this. Uh, that's part of the reason my writing still looks like a six-year-old. So that's beside the point. But when I was 10 years old, I actually was legally dead from my asthma. You know, I was lying there. And all of a sudden, I'm floating out of my body, the, the white lights and all that. And I look down, see Doc Murray, you know, turning an octopus. So I came on back from that, and I don't waste time now. There's 86,400 seconds a day. I'm going to get my best usage of every single one of them simply because we're not getting them back. Wow. Okay. Couple, couple of quick questions. Um, what's an ultra marathon? An ultra marathon, anything over a regular marathon. Marathons, 26.2 miles, uh, about 41 cars. So anything over that in a single day is an ultra. So the first one that I did, because I actually said that I hated marathons after doing my first couple and swore I'd never do another one. So I ended up doing a double marathon because two negatives is a positive, right? From a mathematical point mm-hmm. of view. So <laughs> I did a double marathon, 52 and a half miles for my first one. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then my next one was 100 kilometers. So two miles and change, 125 the one next month. I broke my leg. So I'm recovering from that and I'm not allowed to run. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, we hope you have a speedy recovery. By the way, I, I hate leg. running. Okay. So you, you're going to have to say more about that. You hate running, but yet you run ultra marathons. I hate running, but I do it to make me better. It pushes the limits. When you have gone beyond anything that you have ever experienced before physically, uh, emotionally, and all that, you create or tap into new dimensions of your new strengths that you know that you had. And it is the capability to reach these limits and go beyond them over and over again that actually stretches our overall capacity. So as a martial artist, my master used to take us down and redline us in the basement. So we'd get where you think that you're going to die and you don't die, but you keep going. And by staying at that level, you end up raising the capability that you have. This is one of the reasons why graduate school, they beat the hell out of people so much. Why uh, doctors doing their residencies, they push them so hard so that down the road, you can do that in a, a moment's notice and you're used to the stress. You can literally say, been there, done that, I can handle this. So it helps when you're doing a startup company or or uh, if anyone's going through training or seeing or anything like this, by pushing your limits again and coming back, it allows you to be able to have your strength great. 
and saying that champion is get somebody who gets back up. That's exactly it because we're all going to have to deal with significant crap in our life, whether it's a parent dying of cancer or Alzheimer's or uh, the decline of a relationship, eventually our own physical decline. We're all going to deal with this as some point so building the resilience mentally physically emotionally to be able to do this helps us be the strongest person in the room for when others need us mm. it literally gives you a competitive edge uh against stressful situations and when you're uh whether it be negotiations or anytime you're in a leadership position uh is what i'm hearing from you right now Exactly. And it gives you the edge in the game of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's there's something that I'm hearing in that that I've discussed with people is it's important in how you know yourself. And when you've had to perform in uh, certain situations, you, for instance, I've got four kids and I've gone without sleep and I've been able to push myself uh, beyond certain levels and as a result, you know, I know myself as someone who shows up for people in a certain way. And, and what I'm hearing from, from what you're sharing here is that there is an important element to knowing yourself and knowing that you're able to push through these stresses in life. As Sun Tzu says in The Art of War, he who knows himself and his enemy will ever be victorious. So knowing that you have more capacity that you can say all right i'm just gonna brew a a pot of coffee and doesn't matter that i only slept two hours last night because i had to take care of something or it's another person whether a small human or an older one whether it's a situation with work whether it's you know the water heater blew and flooded the house and you had like that this is called life. Life is the balance between order and chaos that happens continuously beyond our or at the edge of our control. And so being able to, all right, I got this, makes it so that we have greater resiliency and ultimately don't break when things get really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so so tell me a little bit about how you're beginning to create this this uh, image for us and understanding of what your background is. How does this play into your book and what you talk about in the book? So when you look at my background, I think about what you can never tell where the story is going to go. You can only connect the dots looking back. And if we look at life as the ultimate game, let's look at for your listeners. Okay, we're all trying and gold and all that sort of stuff. And that's our main quest, whatever your main quest is, where it's to be the best father that you can be, to build the best business that you can, whatever that is. But along the way, we have all these side quests that we go on. And every time that I took a deep, whether it was with work, doing something different, or even if you take a vacation, couple of days to rest and recover that's basically healing you for the next part of your game mm-hmm. and every side quest you resources that you don't know that you're going to need until down the, 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 that is not got from that one weird class that you took in college 
or the what you learned sitting there going to a conference and picking somebody's brain or listening to a particular podcast or building a skill mm -hmm. like martial arts or learning to play and then that teaches you other things that you then bring back to have more capability within your main quest. You know, if we look at it like that, then everything that I've done in terms of becoming a human Swiss army knife is actually just me that much better, that much more skilled in different capacities, giving me that many more tools because I don't know what's coming down the road. None of us really do. We can have some plan for it. Being able to say, all right, I got this. This is not going to break me. You know, this sucks in the moment, but we can deal with it. Whether it's COVID, whether it's the war going on, whether it's the economic issues that we've seen, or whether it's, you know, your kid does something stupid at school and gets thrown out for a week, which if you don't have teenagers, you'll get to that point at some point in your life. So it's just that capability of being able to literally, as it says on the, on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic. Right. So, uh, well, first of all, I do have, I, I've got, they're all teenagers right now. So uh, you've got me there. And um, God bless you. <laughs> um, yes, he has with four teenagers. <laughs> it really is expanding uh, my, uh, my ability to handle stress. Um, and, and we have a dog too. But, um, but, but let me ask you this. So one of the things that I'm hearing is, um, you know, you're talking about the uh, Swiss Army knife, and there's a there is a bit of a a debate where people talk about the benefits of being sort of a jack of all trades, um, and versus being a master of one. Now, in your case, I think you're you're not just a um, a Swiss Army knife. Um, each tool for you, you're capable of using. So it's not like you're just a jack of all trades and can kind of do something each one of these things right. you've chosen to do and do well and so uh, you know can you say something about that the uh, jack of all trades versus being a master at something sure so i've got friends who have a phd in theoretical physics and you know they can plumb the depths of the universe but you ask them to interact with another human and if you ask them to do anything beyond that extremely narrow area where they've gone not just a mile but multiple miles deep then they are outside of their area of expertise and so one of my friends said that when if you're like that then you need to be completely dependent on other individuals because you have no clue on any of those other components and yeah. other than that just arrogance assuming that okay because i'm a master in this area i can master anything that there is so that's one approach to things and mm -hmm. the other approach is all right, i'm going to be a mile wide and a little deep but not super deep and so that's the jackal trades master of none and very flexible but doesn't necessarily make you excellent in any one particular area so my focus is actually on being excellent in multiple areas and then allowing them to cross pollinate so for example master in taekwondo you know that gives me discipline 
that gives me physical and mental resilience, okay, then being very wide read. I spend an hour plus a day learning every single day, and that might be psychology, it might be history, it might be literature, but spending time on developing things other than your core business focus makes you more well-rounded. And if you've got the capability, then you can take an idea from here and an idea from over here, and then they can cross-pollinate and have molds that come from them. So it's expanding beyond that. And there is always going to be a debate about this. One of the things is that if you the career path and the economic opportunities of the past 50 years. You could just get a high school education and you could go and you could learn one particular trade and you could do that for your entire life. You could go and learn how to do one thing. And that has, for the most part, been eliminated over the past 30 years because of how our economy has evolved. And so it is that capability to continue to have fluid intelligence, as it is described, where you can continue to learn and synthesize new things that's going to allow you to be successful. Because I'm turning 50 this year, even though I don't admit it, I certainly don't. But my dad retired at age 80 because he's like, eh, that's long enough. He ran his consultant firm and he loved what he did but the field has changed so much and he's like "Eh, everybody else is retired it's not really worth i'm gonna go play with my grandkids which he's completely earned that right but what i learned as a physicist 25 years ago in college most of that's outdated most medical knowledge is outdated within 24 to 30 months so the world is evolving so quickly that you need to be able to focus on understanding and doing really well with what you can now, but also have the capability to continue to adapt as things change. And so that is where the value for the future lies, of deep knowledge that can also be replenished as new things occur and mm-hmm. spread so that you can take the concepts that worked the processes that work, that deep learning capability, and use it in other areas so that you can continue to adapt or else you're going to end up like the dodo or the dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I that That's really brilliant. I, I think that we have a huge advantage for us now that um, it's something I try to even relay with, with the kids is that they have a question and, and I'm like, well, let's look it up. Let, we have the internet. We have the GTS. ability to go in, right? And uh, and get go down a thread very quickly and learn something in a new area that um, for those of us uh, like you and myself, we would have had to go get on a bus or get on a bike and go to the library, access whatever materials no. they had from whenever they had it, and and that was the, the body of information that you had available to you. Now you can really and update your one of the things so about that, Neil. One of the things about that is not only do you go and look it up and learn that thing, but you, then it is the metacognitive capability of saying, "How does this thing that I learned relate and interrelate with other things that I've already yeah. learned?" Yeah. So if I'm yeah. learning about something in terms of, say, 
uh, physical health, okay? Like telomeric health because uh, related to how much you exercise 30 plus minutes a day is actually minimum. How do I then date that other things are already within my knowledge base? Does that mean that my, I need to remove something that was a fact uh, or bad or uh, fat bad, like they used to say in the 80s and 90s, and we're coming around to realize that? So how does this evolve the overall knowledge base, and how do I change? And so being able to reflect upon this new information, integrate it into the overall, and then if need be, make micro course corrections in terms of what I'm trying to do, whether it's with my physical training or with the career or with the relationship. Being able to make those micro decisions and micro adjustments means that you never get this massive disparity in knowledge base and reality or what you need to be doing to succeed and what you're actually doing if you're continuously evolving. And so that's mm. actually part of a growth mindset that Dweck talks about. Um, and only about 40% of the people have it as opposed to a fixed mm -hmm. mindset. So if we can adopt that and have more openness in terms of our search for knowledge and understanding, which acts, but also how how people interrelate. If we can extend that more, that is the key to growth and success long range. Wow. Uh, um, okay. Uh, so let me let me ask this because this is something that that I've thought about in, in along those lines is uh, confirmation bias. You 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 read something you've got it here and then you've you've already got this body of knowledge and then you you get that piece and now you're oh you've added it to it you're like yeah and uh, yeah and it feels great and you think absolutely but you've just uh, you know sometimes I have to think to myself okay hang on Neil back it up go do some more research on this and make sure that this does in fact correlate with this um but i find that 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 slide from when you get a new piece of information can happen so quickly because of uh you know confirmation bias do you have any thoughts on that that's because it's easy you know yeah. our, our heuristic is to save energy for our brain because one the brain uses like 20 percent of that body's energy energy hog but two we um, mental capacity and the we have literally seven to plus or minus two mental channels at a particular point and so we get overwhelmed with each one of our kids takes up a channel and work and you know what our spouse and what's going on in the world and all this so we can get really overwhelmed in our ways this is why individuals on strata make poor mental decisions and financial decisions because they're overwhelmed with all these things. And so being able to eliminate a lot of this, this is part of what the reticular activation system does, is it's the filter that we look at the world through. So if we can eliminate some of these stimuli, you know, okay, that's not a saber-toothed tiger over there that's going to jump us. That's one of the reasons why we're anxious is because we evolved that we had to have that sort of attention to everything. But being able to narrow it down and focus is part of what we are capable of through our neocortex, which is one of the things that separates us from the lower animals. So one of the things, though, is that we, it takes energy to consciously look at our own thought processes, our metacognitive processes. Generally, we, when it comes down to 
doing something, any decision, generally follows the easy path or the right path. The right path always takes more energy short term. It's always harder. It's much more difficult than to do the easy thing. But generally, it leads to a better outcome. And I don't care if this mm. is in terms of your physical fit, sitting on a couch eating Cheetos or getting up and going for a walk. I don't care if this is in your relationship, you know, avoiding that discussion about them not doing the dish yet again versus you just doing it. This in your career, this could be, you know, I can play video games, I can study. Studying's harder, but it's generally going to give you a better outcome than sitting there dorking around playing Fortnite. <laughs> I yell at my times. Uh, I've Obviously. So it comes down to which of the paths are you going to make or, or which decision tree are you going to go along? You're going to go with the easy route, which tends to put into the downward path, or you're going to take harder route, which requires more energy, mental, physical, emotional up front, but it puts you a slight. Yeah. Yeah, well, I that that's a really interesting thing because I noticed when I was younger, and perhaps this is just something of of our youth, but I noticed when I was younger, I was always looking for the shortcut. How do I get through this quickly and get on to whatever I want to be doing or on to the next thing? Huh? And somewhere along the line, I started to realize that the shortcut ended up meaning I had to go back and do something over again. Or I miss something, or and and so yep, I started realizing <laughs> it. It was the long way around, right? I ended up having to do things twice, and so I started learning to slow down and take a little bit more time. Um, and now maybe that's just a lesson in life, but um, in in having many conversations with many people, I can't say that you that you see that everyone gets that same lesson. No, because they, one, we've made it so that making mistakes is no longer painful. Mm. So, you know, when you're a kid, you put your hand on the hot stove. Oh, that's hot. And you don't do it again because you got burned. Okay. Yeah. You play around with something and like on a merry-go-round and you learn about basic physics, often you hurt. Okay. I realize I can't do that or that doesn't make sense. So there's very short feedback loops. And so you learn to make decisions based off of that quick feedback, um, which is one of the things that are very good about the computer science world of today is that they can test and build and test and build and test and build and keep, you know, iterating products as opposed to having the longer cycle time of the past of physical manufacturing. But this thing of understanding that some things have to follow a cycle. I grew up on a farm, so you plant in the spring, guess what? Harvest comes in fall. You can't accelerate that. You can't mm -hmm. go and essentially microwave the baby and have them born instead of nine months. Yeah. So having this appreciation for that and understanding that if you're doing something that is not a throwaway, you know, if I'm just going to have a quick cheeseburger, I'm not real concerned and all right, cheap and quick, fine. Okay. If I'm putting together something for uh, that's meant to be disposable. You know what? Cheap and, cheap and quick and easy. But if it's meant to last, take the time, do it right. Think about the project up front. I've got a saying that one minute of thought is an hour of work. But if the, the hour of work is what needs to be done to do the right job for the situation, then you do it. 
And mm-hmm. it's this balance of doing things quickly and efficiently and doing them right and learning, okay, th- this might be a shortcut in terms of being a more efficient way to do the same thing. But if you're cutting a corner that actually causes a problem, that's a situation. And this is, again, one of those ex- things that come with experience and scars, uh, typically from screwing things up, that you learn to develop this. And unfortunately, the younger generations, and this is why I do my grumpy old man impersonation, because the parents are bubble wrapping them in so many ways, because there's so many snowplow parents, you know, I'm a Gen X. So, you know, we had to take care of ourselves in a lot of ways. And so my kids have been raised with that sort of mentality. So as they tell me, or I tell them when they go out to do something, okay, have fun, don't die. (laughs) Right. Uh, Okay. So they figure it out on their own. So they become more self-reliant and more resilient, which is going to help them change. What's the key there in developing excellence? Because the one thing that I probably hear more than any other is, you know, I'm just, I'm not feeling motivated to do this. I'm having a hard time motivating myself to do this. And um, I I really believe in in working from a commitment. What What are you committed to? Because you never have an issue with finding motivation if you're committed to something. But, um, but I hear this over and over again from people where they say, you know, I just don't feel motivated to read another book. And so what's the key there? It's emotional for, for versus excellence? structural in a lot of ways. So professionals do what they have to do. Okay. Stephen King talks about, you know, being a professional writer, sitting down and doing it even when you don't feel like it. Motivation is all excitement and you know desire and it's like oh this feels good and you're pumped up and everything and you can do things to get that feeling temporarily like for example i'm a big fan of using music before every podcast before this one actually i listened to my song princes of the universe by queen and just hearing the opening strains is like yes yes okay and there's little things that you can do to hack your body to actually feel like doing things right right see see but it comes down to sometimes you just have to suck it up or you create the structure that leads to the discipline. So I'm a big fan of James Clear's Atomic Habits, where he talks about habit stacking or something he doesn't talk about, but should habit cracking those bad habits. So for example, we all get up in the morning, right, Neil? Yeah. You don't lay in bed all day? No. <laughs> as much as I'd love to. Right? So, so you get up. What's the first thing that you do? For me, I roll out of bed, I, you know, swing through the bathroom, go over, grab my cup of coffee that I've left there, yep. and turn on the coffee pot. So I prep the coffee pot the night before so that it will brew while I'm doing the other things, but I have the half cup. So I'm set up to get started for the day. I yeah. sit down, I read five minutes, whether it's the everyday excellence, whether it's daily stoic. In fact, I actually do both each morning and dump out whatever in my brain, because when you sleep, you actually process a lot of information. I just dump it on out and then I go and work out for approximately 20 minutes. Okay. And every single day, I also do a hundred punches each hand as part of that workout every single morning. I've done it for decades. Even when I had a back injury, I had to work at one-tenth speed in the shower with the hot water 
beating down on it so I could even move. I still did that. I've done over 10 million punches in my life. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to get motivated mm -hmm. to do that. That's discipline. Mm -hmm. right? So motivate's yeah. great for short term. It's a, you know, it's like drinking a Coke or having, you know, a sugar to be like, boom, all right, let's go. But it's the discipline that gets you doing it over and over and over again. And so discipline yeah. is a mental muscle. When mm -hmm. you don't want to do something, that's when you say, F it, let's go. Or you do the Robbins countdown, five, four, three, two, one, go. You know, or you make a bet with somebody. So if I don't do X every single day, I'm going to give you a check, $1,000 to give to the school that I hate the most. So having that overcomes the other concerns. So as Nietzsche said, if your way is strong enough, you will overcome, you will find your how. So if you've got enough belief in what you're doing, you find the discipline. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger said that he didn't need discipline because he loved what he was doing. He was so focused on becoming Mr. Universe that he would work out till he puked, pass out, wake up and keep going because the goal was that important. So mm -hmm. how do we get that of belief in what we're trying to take care of? I mean, if somebody put a head and said, you need to get me $5 million in three days or else I'm going to shoot your kid. Guess what? You're finding a way yeah. somehow. Yeah. You don't need motivation yeah. at that point because you got it. Yeah. Okay? You've got so more than enough. If your goal is yeah so if your goal is to make the new york times bestseller list or make you know the special club for your company at work or finish your degree so that you can get out of the projects and move your kids out guess what you're going to no matter how tired you are sit there and do what to do to get what you want if it is that important to you those big mm -hmm. things where i tell people oh i'm not motivated well, that means you don't care enough. You need to care so much that it is in every fiber of your being. So mm -hmm. you need to do whatever you can to reinforce that. So if somebody's like, oh, I'm not really motivated towards my goals, I'm like, well, is this goal something that's critical to you? One of the things right. I tell people is put your goal on your phone face. Look at their phone tie on average. Okay, put uh, post-it notes on your on your mirror, on your dashboard, on the fridge, uh, where you're going to see it hundreds of times a day with what that goal is. Get somebody else to buy on it. My 11-year-old autistic son, my goal is for the year. And if I hit my goal, we're going to Disney. So mm -hmm. every single day, that cute kid comes up to me, da, da, did you do it yet? Not yet, buddy. But I have that constant reminder. So what am I going to say? No, we're not go do this thing because your father was too lazy to do what he needed to do. Right. That's not happening, buddy. Okay. It could be right. A, right. these chores and then, you know, we're going to go have ice cream. It could be, you know, when I finish doing this analysis for work, you know, we'll go outside and play ball for a half hour or we do this and, you know, we're going to go play Legos. Okay. Those are short reinforcers. But if you have, enough belief in that goal and the feedback mechanisms so that you're being pushed towards it and, and preferably both there's a negative consequence of not doing it between that combination of 
pull towards something and being pushed away from something negative, that's how you are able to do accomplish a big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I missed that last part. Um, so you can listen right, to the podcast. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, he, he, I was getting something really powerful there about uh, discipline and uh, and uh, commitment, and you know, your son and and all the motivation you need. And then I was like, oh, but I'm missing pieces in there. So, <laughs> um, but let let me go back to that. Okay. So, I'm I'm getting something really powerful there, but but my question that I'm I'm kind of wondering is, is that uh, people have and and this is even for me sometimes where you're trying to find what that is that is is really uh, genuine or authentic to you, the thing that's going to motivate you, and um, and sometimes you know it there's there's definitely items you know when as it relates to our kids that we can put cer certain items there but sometimes I, and this is again something that i've heard oftentimes where people are trying to find what's authentic to them what they what actually will make a difference for them what is an impact for them and um it's almost like as people come up they don't know what to ask themselves. They don't know what is it that I actually care about. It, you talked about how your parents really fostered that curiosity and that learning for you. And it seems like oftentimes um, the majority of people have been raised in a way that, you know what, you need to do this, this, and this. They do that. And then they don't know what to do after that point in time because it's it's like it's not fostered. How can someone sort of foster that curiosity, that desire to learn and and even to learn about themselves? How how can they get into that? Because I think that that sounds like that's a key to excellence. Right. And one thing is, as Marcus Aurelius said, you know, do the tasks set before you like a Roman. Okay. I have to do a lot of things that I hate. But I do them. I do them to the best of my ability. Like Tyson said, being a professional is doing something that you hate as if you loved it. So yeah. I don't care if it's like picking up the phone to schedule new appointments, which I absolutely hate. I mastered that. I could be as good at it as possible. In fact, I'm, I became among the best, which allowed me to spend less time doing it. But I still get the shakes before I have to pick up the phone to set an appointment, even to this day. Yeah even though I'm considered the master at it. So do whatever it is that you have to do with your entire being. Just fully commit to it, even though it's going to suck, because mm -hmm. then you get it done in an effective way, and you might not have to do it again if it's one or you build up your tolerance. So it's like, okay, I can do this. I can handle this. So that's one thing. Another thing is, if something interests you, take a couple minutes to explore it. Oh, this mm -hmm. looks interesting. Oh, I'm, go check it out. Go down those rabbit holes, as we were talking about a little bit earlier. Explore these things. This seems interesting. Uh, hey, you know, my friend is doing this. I'm going to check it out. Even though I don't think I'll be interested, I'll invest an hour. When you're in your teens and 20s, before you have kids, you can take a half hour or an hour to check out these different things. So you can broaden your horizons. And if something's like, ooh, that seems sort of cool, then you explore it further. And then you explore it further. And if you're doing this over multiple different areas, you're taking time to develop your mind, your spirit, your body with different physical activities. You're going to find the thing that you're 
that's it right there. And it's one of the things that you need to explore and figure out. People don't take enough chances on a personal basis to invest a couple of minutes to see if something is truly interesting. Google used to have what was known as their 10% time, where 10% of the individual, and this would apply to everybody at Google, they were encouraged to take 10% to work on stuff that interested them. And that's where Gmail came from and AdSense and Google Translate and all these other things that we take for granted now yeah. came about because somebody's like, I'm going to go play around with this on a little bit. So one of the things that I tell people is that they should spend 10% of their time. So that equates to about 2.4 hours per day. Okay. So about 140, 150 minutes total exploring things. Now, as you get older and you have you can't do it nearly as much. That's why you should be doing it in your teens and 20s. But it's like, oh, I'm going to go read this comic book. I'm going to read this book that my friend recommended. I'm going to listen to these songs that I never thought I would like. And you know, by spreading yourself out and saying, okay, I'm trying this dish. I'm trying these olives. Ooh, I don't like olives. But now you know that. We'd be like, ooh, yeah. you know, I tried sushi. Oh, I like this. Oh, let's try some more. Try some more. And if you're willing to sort of risks on low levels, you're going to eliminate triage out seventy five percent, eighty percent of what you interact with. But if you're doing this with hundreds of different things on a micro basis, then that means that you're literally exposing to things that you actually like to you know, potentially a hundred things. And then you can go deeper into those and you can say, no, nah, I don't really like it that much. All too often we see people get a degree in something and they're like, you know what? I didn't really want to be, you know, a chemist or I didn't really like this, but everybody who said, oh, I'm smart and good at math. I should go be an engineer. And you realize you hate engineering. Yeah. So yeah. having that broad net and then just getting little bits and little bits. That's how you slowly put together the different pieces in your brain, those neuron connections, that then over time start interacting more. And that's how you find out what your life quest is, as Nietzsche would talk about. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, something that you're, you're kind of pointing to there is that oftentimes it's it's really a question that we have to ask ourselves. Nothing wagered, nothing gained. If If you're not willing to put in a little bit of effort into these things. Why should you have any expectation that something different will occur? And, and if you're willing to just put yourself out there a little bit, take a couple of hours, you know, maybe in the beginning, start with take uh, 30 minutes and, and just get out of your norm, learn something a little different, explore something. And you may not, you may not be interested in all in it at all, but you can move on to something different the next day and slowly expand so that you make sure that you're opening yourself up and, uh, and just allowing yourself to experience a little bit more. And you never know what that item might be, what that learning might be that might trigger something in you that will open up this desire to, uh, and, and maybe just lighten you up and, Exactly. And you said right there, openness. If you look at that personality traits, openness to new experiences and new ideas is a partial determinant of long-range success. People who have a more open mind combined with conscientiousness are those who 
end up succeeding whatever endeavor because to be a great musician guess what that takes discipline same sort of discipline that takes to become a great surgeon it's applied to a different area it's using different parts of the brain but the underlying mindset of being a professional of developing mastery of being excellent is very similar and so that's one of the things that everybody can work on everybody can go and set a timer for 10 minutes and say, I'm just going to hammer on this one thing, even though I don't like it, I'm going to hammer on it for 10 minutes. And that 10 mm -hmm. minutes, then tomorrow can become 12 minutes and then 15 minutes. <laughs> and then you're within a couple of weeks, you're spending 30 minutes every single day on something that you don't necessarily yeah. maybe like, but you know that you have to do, whether it's doing physical exercise or learning to computer program or to cook or to have difficult conversations or what have you. Mm -hmm. It's that slowly building up of the mental muscle, the discipline around particular things. And that mm -hmm. is, uh, as Jocko Willink talks about, discipline equals freedom. But discipline is like excellence in some ways in that it's a multifunctional skill set that over into other components. Yeah, you, you know, I was listening to um, a fitness trainer, a uh, fairly famous one, uh, Jennifer Cohen, and she was giving a talk one time and she said that um, that they've actually found that boldness is a better indicator than intelligence of someone's uh, of success. Boldness was a greater uh, indicator than intelligence of success. And uh, I think, you, you know, you're talking about that because when when they talk about intelligence, I think what they're sort of referring to sometimes is uh, someone can have academic success in an area, um, but then right. they don't necessarily, um, they're not necessarily open to uh, these other areas like you, you just discussed. And uh, As the great one said, there. you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Boldness right. is a reflection of willing to take risks that could be increasing in level. So you you take micro risks to determine things, whether it's asking yeah. out that pretty girl, whether it's uh, you know trying out for a team, whether it's trying to pick up an instrument, or it's learning any new skill set. You got to remember when we start any new endeavor, we suck. Okay, look at babies learning to walk. They fail, they fail, they fail, they fail. But guess what? They're not going to stop because they want what's on the other side. Yeah. So it's yeah. that boldness. I mean, you watch the kids like pull out chairs and climb on up to get the cookie jar because they want it that badly. Why are we as big people not caring about that cookie jar as much? Where that cookie jar mm. is success and work or relationship or physical health or spiritual well-being or whatever thing you want to look at. We need to be able to be willing to fail like a toddler, like a five-year-old learning to ride a bike. Because if we can have that mindset, that's where success lies ultimately. Mm. Well, let me ask you this question then. Why is it that we are so much more motivated as human beings by something that we don't want uh, or as opposed to going after something that we do want what what is that why is it that we seem to be able to well, something we're scared of we're we're going to move away from that we don't want to be like our parents we don't want to this we're we're afraid of that but yet the things that mm -hmm. we do want seem so much harder to go after because 
Um, one, there's a lot of biochemical in it. You get fear from being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Guess what? That remains in your system after you've escaped from the saber-toothed tiger. You still have the adrenaline. You still have the heartbeat. That, so there's a lingering effect of that. So that's yeah. one thing. Two, it's um, the sating factor. You can go and you can eat and you're done. And it, you know, you, there's only so much that it takes. But with coming from a, a fear point of view, avoiding something, you get eaten once by a tiger. Guess what? Game over. So we're programmed to be able to respond to that better because there's more stimuli, there's more things trying to attack us than hunger drawing us towards things. You got. I remember in the crocodile brain, there's really four f's that it draws from these are the four big powers that basically are we can't even control is it food okay can i eat it is this something that i need to fly away from is this thing trying to eat me basically is this something i need to fight or is this something that i want to procreate with the fourth f <laughs> got it <laughs> okay those yeah. are the basic biological needs that is 80 percent of our initial stimuli and that's what comes up through the brain stem the crocodile brain initially so that is very powerful then we get into the relationship portion of the brain the emotional and it's basically got two f's also is this friend or foe are you in my tribe or out of my tribe and that's where we're looking at other people essentially between those two components of our brain that's 80 percent of what's going on. So think of it like your subconscious, that 80% is a horse. The horse is going to go where it wants. You can control it somewhat with your neocortex, but that's the real. So what we need to do is harness that. So the curiosity component of the brain is really very old. And it depends on what's most dominant. Is it fear or is it the other components is it food i like to eat okay so or is it something to procreate with which is a pleasure seeking thing right so what is most dominant in those things is going to drastically influence how we interact and perceive the world and we can change that by looking at the fears because you can't fear and thought going on at the same time brain work that way so this is why like special forces people during their training doing mental calculations they're being asked to recite poems or uh, equations or things like that because it's engaging this part and it's eliminating the fear and so if you're in a fearful situation you need to somehow move out of the alligator part of the brain the crocodile part of the brain and up into the neocortex engage that think about it deconstruct mm. the fears. This is the things that Tim Ferriss does with the fear casting concept on a regular basis mm -hmm. so that you're able to yeah. overwhelm that basic biological urge and actually uh, be able to take the actions that you should. Yeah. Did I answer if your you question don't by train the way? Yeah. Or if you don't train yourself, what I'm really hearing and is that if you do not train yourself, if you do not apply the mental discipline to, to get your brain out of those spaces, out of the fear and, and funk that, that you can be in, if you don't train it, then you're, 
you're bound to stay in that and get the results of right. That. Thought neutralizes anxiety. So I have friends who have some near crippling anxiety at times. What we do is we literally sit down and we start talking it through and we take and attack the problem in the smallest piece possible. We look at it from outside as opposed to inside and being emotionally bound by it. We try and separate and dissociate from it. We try and analyze it because if they can start doing that, you can literally, if you hooked them up to um, an EKG, an EEG, and like looked at their oxygen usage and all that, you'd see them starting to relax because the anxiety levels are yeah. dropping. So this is partially, yeah. you know, there's too much cortisol or maybe adrenaline in the system because of that fear. Yeah. So if we can help yeah. neutralize that, okay, or if we can engage the more positive of those uh, primordial, get the desire going as opposed yeah. to the fear. So how do we do that? We can do it with music. We can do it with how they stand. Like I tell people, you know, go ahead and take the Superman pose or, you know, like this or the Wonder Woman or Captain America, okay? Put your hands up like Rocky, dun, 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 dun. things like that help yeah. create counter weights yeah. within the system. Different, you know, so a different stimulus that's getting a different biological response that's helping to reduce that anxiety. So these are some of the things that as a parent or a mentor or a leader, we should be talking about because it then allows people to be able to make better short-term and all long-term. Is there a difference between men and women on this level? Because I, I it seems to be that, um, you know, by and large, men are, are seem to be more geared towards cut off that emotion, push that aside and go do, you know, whatever the task is. Um, but then, you know, there's something different. Well, it's about a good thing that... that women biologically from a bio mm -hmm. point of view are more primed to the emotional. Cause if not, we will have all been abandoned by our mothers and died. So men and women are different. Neither is superior. Make sure that you let us know that from it's just different aspects yeah. that can, you know, manifest themselves differently. And it takes a little bit different priming and coaching to bring out certain elements at different points yeah yeah well there's there's no uh you definitely can't get into the conversation of uh who's better <laughs> or uh e equality i i would say that there's there's uh different levels you know when it comes to physicality typically you know males are going to be better but ask my kids when it comes what? to uh emotional sensitivity towards their needs my wife's going to win that battle every time. So, But um, is there very, balance I, in the house so that they're getting both right. aspects of that? Because right. they need nurturing, right. but they also need right. you know, to develop their independence. And so yeah. that's one of the things that we need to make sure that the children are getting the right balance. Because if you have too much nurturing, then you get the, the tyrannical mother. If you have too much discipline and judging that's when you get the tyrannical father and you know the oppression yeah. so it's the combination yeah. of i love you but my job is to make you ready to take care of yourself for when i'm not right. here and right so snowplow parents haven't done that i mean kids going off to college still don't know how to do their own laundry and that's always been a small factor but we're now getting people who are 25 years old and can't do their own laundry it's like come on dude that used Thank to be all that you need at 15 can't. 16.
Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't know how to fold the clothes. Don't, you know, um, I, and I'm with dealing with, with this with my sons. Components. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm dealing with this with my sons right now where they will, uh, I'm getting them to go do their laundry before the basket gets entirely full. And, uh, and then they'll come back and I'll find them the clean clothes in the basket still. And I'll be like, are you going to take the clothes out and put them away? But I can just use them from there, dad. So oh, where are you going to put your dirty ones on the ground? <laughs> What's your mother yeah. going to say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? At well, least put the clean clothes on your chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, let 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 me. Uh, we're we're running out of time here. Let me just ask this question um, with regards to the book, so that people can really know um, who who should be looking at this book and thinking, uh, you know, this is really for me. Uh, who who's who did you write that book for? I wrote that book for anybody who wants to improve their life. Nate. So if somebody's got a growth mindset, which is a small minority, it's about 40% of society, but if they want to get better, if they want to make changes in their life in some way, if they don't mm -hmm. want to be where they are now, six months, 12 months from now, that is who this book is written for. It's basically a multivitamin for life. It will give you mm -hmm. on a basis, a little bit of guidance, a little bit of self-reflection, allow you to go through your day and have your ultimate arrow point a little more up than it was previously. And so if right. that's the mindset of somebody, then this book every day is, is intended for that. So if you believe in a growth mindset, if you want to be in a different place or have your trajectory changed within the next six to 12 months, this is a book that you want to get into, you want to read and uh, learn to change your your mental disciplines and uh, your your growth patterns, your choices. Uh, that's great. Okay, Neil, well, Joe, uh, yeah. Neil, as a thank you for you and your listeners, uh, if they go to the website everyday-excellence, then uh, everyday-excellence.com, if they use the code leadership to wealth, no spaces, just the name of the podcast spelt out, they can get a discount on the book. And that's a thank All you right. for letting me talk with your people and share my insight as pitiful as it is. <laughs> no, thank you. It's It's been very insightful and uh, I've really appreciated the conversation and there's so many there's so many uh, offshoots that I would have loved to have gone into further and perhaps we can do that at another time point in time. Um, I really appreciate it. And so if, if people are trying to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best way for people to get more of Joe Templin? So I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, that's at E-D-E with Joe, at E-D-E for Everyday Excellence with Joe. That's me. Or they can go to the website .com, or the uh, from there, they can just reach on out to me. The book's available on my site. It's also available on Amazon.
That's great. Joe, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, experience, knowledge, uh, you know, just giving us a, a, a bite, a bite-sized piece of uh, what's available for us in the world of excellence and, uh, and adventure, I would say too. But thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show today. Neil, thank you. This was an absolute blast. Be excellent and grow today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week on the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Take care.